And there's that silly lion again. I always thought this woman looked like Susan Hayward. Still do. Of course, with short hair. I wanted to go back to the original bold letters from the beginning because I think that's kind of a, it's almost a, a signature trademark. It wasn't quite as big as the other Rockies, but it just, I thought, it started to bring people back into the uh, same feeling. But this time I added images, some of a, some of a foreshadowing of things to come uh, that was quite different than the other Rockies. This was a, a thing I thought about for a lot vaseline back and forth whether to go with this with two strangers basically in the opening shot even though one character will start to become quite pronounced throughout the film because he's one of the major players which is antonio tarver playing mason dixon who just dropped his fellow i thought also going into a a blue feel here would, would sense give us a sense that this is a kind of a foreboding almost surreal situation that is eventually going to come to prominence as as a very real situation later on down the line so so we're taking like a, a dreamlike situation that'll become a very very poignant situation later on the music in here is interesting uh, believe it or not this is a little uh, little musical interlude by three six mafia taken from the song that will be played at the end of the film this is just a symphonic interpretation of that those are the actual voices of HBO, the specialist Jim Lampley, Larry Merchant, and I thought that would add to authenticity. This is my brother's song, Take You Back. It's, uh, it was kind of a shot in the dark when we did it the first time, sitting around the trash can in Philadelphia. I thought, okay, we, we couldn't afford to have uh, any actors, and I thought, okay, why not have my brother, since he is from Philadelphia, singing around a trash can, and little did I know, 30 years later, it would be one of the songs that uh, would be so identified with the rocky mode of life. So putting it in the beginning of this film, again, brings us even further into nostalgia, which is what I was trying to do. This shot, I thought, if if we could somehow get a lot into this frame with just the idea of Adrian, we don't see Rocky's face, but we see the turtles first, which is evident that he's so strung out on the past and can't get past that. His whole life is like, again, giving things, feeding things. Of course, he's putting some gumdrops out there because that's just Rocky.
I like the barrenness of this shot. It's uh, very utilitarian backyard. It's not meant for fun or anything. People in these neighborhoods just throw tools and debris in the back, and Rocky's just part of that debris. This is kind of a tricky transition because there's nothing more maudlin than in the beginning of a film going to a graveyard. Um, but I thought it was necessary to set the tone. And for a lot of people that had heard that Adrian was not in the film, this is the first realization she is gone. And this scene was necessary to set the tone for the first half of the film. And we'll see to the end it will pay off. I had this idea about a man going to a graveyard so often that he actually keeps a chair there. It's just an indication that this is his only resort. This is where he goes to seek peace. No, it ain't all right. Uh, you know, the kid gets a little busy sometimes. He don't get that busy. Well, let's not talk about it here, okay? You're coming tonight, right? I'm working. I took the tour the last three years. I know, but it's the end of This graveyard is just outside of Philadelphia. It's truly extraordinary in its size. It's, um, I mean, they have the Grave Diggers Ball there. They have, I mean, this is kind of an event, this graveyard. You've never seen anything quite like it. It was almost too overwhelming uh, for Adrian to be buried there, but just the location along the river and the, the different elevations of the stones I thought was too nice a visual to pass up. Now Rocky goes into a very geometric world, an academic world, structural world, the world of his son. And what I thought would be apparent here is that he really doesn't belong in this kind of environment at all. And it, and it separates him with that glass and revolving door and all that from his son here, who is a, you know, has grown apart and become a completely different, more intellectual creature. Yo, Robin. Yo. Hey, how you doing? Hey. Tell me off guard. No, I caught you off guard. I wanted to catch you before you got too busy. Yeah, it gets busy up there. Uh, so how you doing? Real good. Yeah? Yeah. Good. This was kind of a, a difficult scene to shoot because the, the light in the background was blasting through that window. As you can see, it's almost whited out. And rather than try to spend hours and hours, which I didn't have to try to adjust that, I thought, you know, maybe this is interesting. It'd be kind of an ethereal blowout. And uh, maybe you can create an interesting visual with that rather than just seeing everything so clearly. I don't know exactly what I mean, but I just think it's like when I come here, you don't feel so comfortable, and I, I certainly don't want to do that. <laughs> no, you, you throw a big shadow. Big shadow. You're not going to get anything done down here, Robert. Well, if you're not going to introduce me, then I will. I am William Tomlinson. How you doing? Also in the scene, you see that Rocky is kind of at odds. He's, you know, I gotta tell you, I he's surrounded by people that are not of his ilk. He, he realizes this man is completely full of crap, but he still doesn't have the heart to embarrass him. It's just not his nature, but <laughs> his eyes are dead, and you see he would like to clip him one, but that's what makes the character, I guess, somewhat endearing, is that he just tries to take the high road. Robert, I'll see you later. I gotta get going. Um... I'll change my plans for tonight. Oh, that'd be great. I'm looking forward to okay. it. Okay. Hey, how you doing? Okay. 
Okay. And do not let those numbers drive you crazy. Too late. Use an eraser and get rid of all of them. At one time, I tried to see him, believe it or not, I tried it a few times of, uh, right before the sun comes down, he's looking on the escalator here, and he sees a woman that looks just like Adrian, and uh, he follows her up to the top of the escalator, and then, of course, it isn't her, and then he comes back down. And I spent a lot of time on that, and I just, you know, I think we're just pushing the uh, loneliness too far. This is uh, a scene that I debated about keeping in or out, but what it does is show where he really lives, where his heart is. This is where he's comfortable, this is where he's vocal and casual and unselfconscious compared to the environment that his son lives in. He just blends in. He's, he doesn't think of himself as anything special. He's just part of the street here. This is, uh, I assume there's a restaurant that was created maybe 10 years ago by Adrian. It's a, a restaurant that is much more feminine in the fact that uh, most fighters have a restaurant that is, you know, more about boxing memorabilia and this and that. But this is mostly about opera and things feminine. And, and it's was, and now he's made it kind of a shrine to her. But it's what she created. And the only thing that's in the in the restaurant is one photo, one painting of of Rocky. There's very little about him. It's mostly about her. God bless you, Rocky. This is an interesting character. This is the first character I ever boxed with in Rocky One. When the original Rocky started out in the ring, as the camera pans down, the first one I'm being hit by is Spider Rico, whose name is Pedro Lavelle. He was. A, I think the South American champion and a contender for many years. And I thought, you know, that Rocky doesn't have many friends, and ironically, the one friend that he would have would be the one that he fought years earlier, who has now found God. I went to Jack Dempsey's restaurant when I was about uh, 12 years old. I remember Jack Dempsey, one of the great champions of all time, would sit around and tell stories and just live constantly in the past. And I find a lot of boxers do that. So Rocky is definitely a man who is living in reverse. But he's not bitter about it. It's, it's just, I mean, there's a kind of a repetitive quality. And he's told the story so many times that people know them. But he takes his licks and just keeps on going. This house was supposed to be in Vegas. It really was uh, out in Malibu, a very, very cold night. And quickly we're uh, trying to establish that this is a man who has everything but peace of mind. And I find that with a lot of people that have acquired great wealth, they have it all. But unless you can look in the mirror and enjoy what you're looking at, you really don't have anything. Hello, Adrian. This is a girl who's actually a, a real Philadelphian, real accent, obviously. Uh, and she does this for a living. She was a hostess and a bartender. And I wanted to get as much authenticity as possible. There's really no professionals in this. These are all neighborhood people. 
There's also a scene I had to shoot economically because we had a very, very tight shooting schedule. So I thought, okay, we'll just rack from the phone, just uh, go straight to him, try to capture the mood with lighting, and then get out of it. I didn't have time to really go for multiple setups. This is kind of the feeling I suppose everybody gets when they go back to a place that at one time was a bastion of happiness. Kind of a, a secure place in the world, a place of happiness, and then you go back and you relive it. Then, of course, you look at the outside and realize, well, you can never really recapture those moments again. There's always a sense of uh, regret and loss. Especially when that place, that was one of the places where he obviously met her the first time. Signs falling apart, boy. The whole world's falling apart. Look at us. We'll talk crazy, Paulie. You know, I think if you live someplace long enough, you are that place. And that really is a very important line because that is who he is. That he is part of these streets, no matter what he's acquired in his life, where he's traveled. His heart is here, his memories are here. He's part of these buildings, he's part of everything that transpired here. It's very hard for him at this point, and I think for a lot of people when they reach a certain age, to move on. This scene was set up in a way that it was almost the exact framing as the first one. I couldn't get it exact for some odd reason. I don't know, I, I don't know what the lenses they were using on the first one, but the lenses have changed that I, I couldn't get it identical, but this is as close to the real framing as the first one, because I wanted him to, or I wanted the audience to be taken back into a situation where he was a young man and, and the confidence of his pose and his body language back then contrasted with the ponderousness and the listlessness of the present. I'm glad they tore this ice rink down. Come on. You heard me. I'm happy they tore This was a tough scene to shoot because uh, originally this was shot in about four different spots, the original ice skating rink, but I wanted to find an area that in Philadelphia that could duplicate that. I mean, this obviously isn't the exact ice skating rink, but it's the one that it, it would suffice to create the, the feeling that Everything that was so wonderful back then has collapsed and crumbled. And, but for him, he still sees it up and running, and he's, he's completely oblivious to the surroundings, whereas Pauly is the voice of reason here, saying this is cold, it's miserable, it's torn down, but Rocky won't come out of his daydream. There's no place to sit down around here. Ah, it's all right. It ain't all right. It's depressing and freaking cold. What's the matter with you, Paulie? You're living backwards, Rocco. Change the channel from yesterday. Yesterday wasn't so great. It was to me. Not to me. You treated her good. You had the good times. I treated her bad. I don't have to think about this. She always loved you, Paulie. Sorry, Rocco. I can't do this no more. 
I thought this is the scene. This is the, this is the trans the main transitional scene. This is where Polly has broken this tradition off at this point. It's like we have to make amends here. We 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 with the past. We cannot continue to dwell on this. I hate the past, and Rocky loves the past, and together this is just not going to work. We have to somehow get one foot in the future. But of course, Rocky isn't planning to do this. Uh, this was a, a scene that is supposed to, where just, uh, I guess, depict that he is, at this point, without Pauly. Normally, they would have been together at this time, continuing the tour. He's now alone, and he goes down these wet streets to the bar that was uh, a safe haven in Rocky One, and a place where he would go to all the time, find companionship. It was a warm place. Now, he goes back, and it's bleak and miserable. I remember when I walked in this bar the first time in Philadelphia, it took my breath away. It just had nothing there but, I guess, uh, a sense of isolation and a, a kind of, uh, you, you could, well, let me put it this way. You could see the expiration date on most of the drinkers. People in, in this bar had somewhat given up and come to the end of the line. So I wanted to keep this bar as, as neutral as possible. So the lighting that we see in here is primarily the lighting that exists, except for one or two lights. So I wanted to just people to see it as it was. And even this makes it look better than it really was. I don't mean to cross the line or anything, but I read about your wife's passing a few years back. Yeah, it was a woman kiss. Yeah. I always heard she was a nice person. Yeah. That's... Do I know you? We met a long time ago. We did? When I was a kid, you walked me home. I did? Told me to stop smoking and things. This is uh, Geraldine Hughes. She's, uh, believe it or not, an Irish actress. Yeah, and she came into the office and just knocked me off my feet with her ability because she just has it. You know, it's some actors, it's not a matter of training or whatever, they just have it uh, for that part. And she made it difficult for every other actress because no one could come close to her audition. I think he wants to drink alone. Well, then give him his drink then. I ain't stopping you. What's that, your man or something? This girl's name is Angie, Angie Boyd. Angie Boyd uh, lived this life. She lived actually a block from this bar. She knew these streets. She'd had a real rough life. And I wanted someone who showed how much things had changed, the generations had changed, that Rocky meant nothing to people. Rocky, is, to this generation, is just like a, a, a nothing, see? She's just... You got to twist it. You're the fool. I'm a person just like you. You ain't no better than me. You think you're a big shot now? You ain't nothing. There's kind of an aggressiveness and a, a lack of respect for tradition with that generation as opposed to this generation. But she was great. I mean, she had never acted before, and I thought you couldn't get anybody to do that Philadelphia action and get that look and that attitude uh, unless they've lived it. You live around here? About eight blocks from here. Eight blocks. Would you need a lift? All right. I love this shot. This is like something out of 
megapolis. You have the, the structure of the subway, which has become kind of like modernistic, contrasted against these streets, which are so archaic. And these two characters cut in the middle. What's the matter? You can't buy around? I love this guy. His name was Lou. Lou was, a, a, again, a Philadelphia roofer who came in with his wife to audition. Actually, his wife came in to audition, but I, I just I said, I'm looking for a tough Philadelphia guy. He goes, hey, I'll meet my husband. So he came in, <laughs> and he started doing what he does. He had been a bouncer, and, and I thought, only an, an idiot with a death wish would say to a two-time world champion, Come back here, I'll, you know, I'll knock you out, you goofy bastard. So I thought, I, I get such a kick out of his line because how demented can you be to incite a former champion? But this is also the first time we see Rocky actually doing something for a woman, something gallant, something that he has craved to do for years since the death of his wife. All right, you see that? You see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, what do you say? I, 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 I was badgered a lot to have Rocky pummel this fellow to the ground and just continue. I said, no. Why bother? Because I just uh, thought that Rocky wouldn't knew he could demolish the fellow, and and he that's not what he was there for. He just wanted to get an apology. He didn't. He he doesn't require beating people to to elevate himself. He was all about her. Just getting an apology and driving off. I love the shot coming up here. This, to me, is what seals the deal, that finally she's thinking someone came along in my life that actually likes me. Martin. Martin. Yo, Martin. Yeah, I see you still got your key. Yeah, I got a key. You got time to talk? I got a lot of This is one of the few locations that was shot in uh, L.A., but... The gym had great texture and it was convenient. Yeah, we moved in about a year ago. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's only temporary. Yeah. This is back in Philadelphia. This is a real deal. We didn't do any of these streets. This is uh, a neighborhood that kind of like depicts where she is in her life. Everything around is just crumbling and falling apart, and so is she. But the fact that these two kind of like wounded souls came together you feel as though a spark is being emitted from these two and that it's going to ignite into something. So, I mean, if I was 150 years old, I'd be falling apart too, so it's okay, building. Does that light work? Nah, it's burnt out or something. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, thanks for the ride, and uh, I'm sorry about those guys and everything. Oh, it's okay. You know, some of those guys just got their brains on backwards and stuff. What's with you doing out so late? Is that your kid? Yeah, I wish he wouldn't stay out so late. Amazing. Yeah, what's that? Oh, last time I seen you, you was a kid, and now you officially got one of your own. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, he sort of resembles you. He's got that, you know, big Irish hair. Yeah, it's the other one. Yeah. His father was from Jamaica. Jamaica, European. Was you on a cruise ship or something? No, not really. What's his name? Steps. See, there, at this so point, Rocky, it, he realizes he just sort of crossed the line and, you know, just innocently made, like made a bad joke. Now he's just trying to 
write himself. He's he's just scatting with words and oh, uh, how can I like uh, you know redeem myself in her eyes? But then she offers, would you like to stick around? And here's where the essence of the character. He's a nurturer. He needs people in his life, but he's sort of afraid. He he hasn't had anyone in his life but Adrian for such a long time. She's gone, and now we virtually have virtual strangers, people that. He knows nothing about, but he requires it, and it's what makes him blossom. Ain't you gonna introduce me to your kid? Hey, those steps. And it just seems that he he's attracted to people like Paulie, like Burgess, Meredith, Mickey, Adrian, all people that require attention. It's like there are people that are hurting, and he senses that, and and he just knows how to bring out the best in them and there's no sense of um, I guess you might say he, he, he doesn't feel as though they, they, they have to perform just be yourself and, and and you have so many good qualities and he just he's, he's a character builder by just trying to bring out all the positive sides of people very very rarely critical rarely critical he's critical one time in his film it's the only time I think he's ever critical Get everything money can buy, except what it can. It's pride. Pride is what got your ass out of here. You're losing it. This is kind of an important scene that that gets back to the idea that no matter what you acquire, you maybe are lacking the most important thing, which is again, pride, and and self-respect. And I believe that. A person has to be have their feet put to the fire before they really know what they're made of. I mean, in, in, in society today, a lot of the uh, opportunities for people to prove themselves are being taken away, or they're just not they're just not presented anymore. I think there's a moment of truth, and and that where a person has to have a crossroads and and see what they're truly made of, their character, and that's what this whole scene's about. So, I never wanted to uh, write a character where uh, he's a villain. Uh, whereas Mr. T and, and Drago were villains. This, this is more about his own personal uh, journey that he has to take, and Rocky is eventually going to be put into that equation. How about a picture with the kid, Rock? That all right? Sure. Your son, hold up your fist. Make sure you look more hazardous. There you go. Enjoy your meal. See again, it gets back to the to the nurturing aspect. We'll see. Downstairs is Spider Rico, who eventually has been brought into who has been brought into Rocky's life, but now wants to earn his keep. He doesn't want to just live off the land here. Oh, come on, you're my guest. Let me do something. Well, keep eating. Guests do that. Don't make me fight again. Last time you got back in. Luggy. Okay. Jesus wants me to work. And the fact that he's given this guy enough time and nurtured now, the man now wants to prove himself. He's, his self-esteem has been built up. So actually, it's Rocky's fault that he's, he's, uh, he's made this guy feel so good that he wants to earn his keep. He doesn't want to be on taking a man's uh, free kindness anymore. Here, why don't you sit down? That scene was an actual scene I, I cut shorter than I wanted to. I'm eventually going to put it into the director's cut, but 
at this point, I think we, I wanted to build up the momentum and, and get this film starting to track on the second act, which is the idea of this computer fight, which actually took place many, many years ago in 1970 between Muhammad Ali and Marky Marciano. And I thought, well, if we duplicate this, this idea that we're actually reflecting on mirroring history and it gives our film some credibility that we're just not creating this haphazardly. It's, it's something that has some merit and it's going to trigger the second act of the show, which is, oh, maybe there is life after death for Rocky. Maybe there is something in here. And that'll come, that'll become apparent in the next couple of scenes. Rocky Balboa. All right, Chuck Johnson, USA Today. There's no question that Rocky Balboa fought the much tougher fights during a much tougher era in boxing. When you look at Mason Dixon and... This scene obviously is put there uh, to wake up the other two main players in the film, which is Mason Dixon and Rocky's son. This is his worst nightmare right now. This is what he's it's about living in the shadow again. Dixon is a victim of his own dominance. He's never been in real knockdown, drag-out brawls. He's never had to dig down to rally back. Well, if he tries to dig down against Balboa, he's going to find that he doesn't have a big enough shovel. I, clearly give it I think that happens with a lot of uh, modern-day athletes. Uh, they're so superior in their abilities and so protected by management, they really never get a chance to show what it would be like if they were just playing for nothing, playing for the love of the game. Would they really be that brave would they be willing to go in there like rocky did and just take the shots and prove his mettle all right here's where our subjectivity ends let's see what the computer has to say let's have it this is a a actual reenactment of a fight that antonio tarver and i did at the blur studio where we were hooked up to a gazillion wires and it was fantastic to see it take shape Again, that music in there is uh, a little clip from 3-6 Mafia with uh, Bill Conti overtones. This is a scene I would have liked to have gone on even longer, but I think we got the most out of it. Uh, you know, he's putting on a brave face, but we know that his his night is shot. <laughs> this is one of my favorite songs uh, by Smokey Robinson. And I think, again, it, it kind of like uh, romantically puts Rocky in the past. And it kind of sets the mood that he is uh, just a, a retro fellow who is who's a romantic at heart and, again, nurturing this girl trying to bring her out of her doldrums. Bucks on the weekend. It's good making your own jinx. My kid stashed a few bucks doing that. Why are you being so nice? You know, I don't want you to think nothing's off, you know. My wife, she's gone, but she ain't, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I wasn't thinking that, believe me. No? No. Then what was you thinking? The symbolism that's going to come up is that Nothing. Rocky mentioned the light bulb in the first scene together, and now he's going to follow through on it. This is me just trying to or him just trying to show how protective he is at her without <laughs> what we're doing. We put in a bulb there. I think it was almost a thousand watts. It's a special bulb that they use in 
in uh, for filming, and it is bright, which caused us to ad lib a little bit and go with it since we were seeing spots. You know, I think hanging out with your kid would be nice. What do you think? I think that'd be nice. Good. That's very nice. She was really wonderful in this uh, this scene. She just uh, played it with a kind of uh, mm, modest complacency, but you know that she's definitely in love with this guy from this moment. I love, put it this way, loves what he stands for. And she's starting to, I guess, blossom. In the first scene, she looked sort of pale and forlorn. Now we see her smiling. You like dogs? Dogs? Dogs. This is like a dog pound. That's where they keep a large variety of dogs. I used to come here all the time for a sightseeing, but... Again, back to the nurturing aspect. Rocky really has nothing to do in his life except interact. People that he knows need him. And, and this, is, this is what he would rather do than fight. But he realizes this, this young man is the kind of character he's never met before. You know, he's a kind of a little angry, newer generation, so he's gonna to try to communicate through him, through symbolism, through the dogs, and basically he's talking about himself. And showing that, you know, yeah, youth must be served, but sometimes it's better to slow down and look at the things that obviously aren't so pretty, but could have some real worth. He ain't dead. There's a lot of good mileage left on that animal. You know, some good food, the addition of a couple of new friends, bingo, he's back. But what do you think's like a good name? In this, uh, in Rocky Balboa, the idea that he needed something to kind of reflect who he is, and that's what Punchy the Dog, that's what his name will be in this film, Punchy the Dog, is kind of like where he is in his life. Uh, whereas Butkus was a strong dog, youthful, big, uh, broad-shouldered, and that's pretty much the way Rocky felt when he was young. Now it, he, he has a bit of wisdom, and he, he kind of has a, a sense of empathy. So when he looks at the dog, he kind of sees himself. And then the fella here, the kid is going to throw a real insult at him, like name the dog Punchy. And rather than Rocky taking offense, he just turns it right back at throws it at him, and the kid is like taken aback that how even keel Rocky is, and now he sort of feels bad that he insulted him. But Punchy is a, a dog that you know had no future, nothing, and pretty much the way Rocky feels about himself. The idea of him adopting this dog and having the kid become part of it, I think, again, it brings into a family aspect that we have to re we somewhat have to respect our elders and respect things that maybe aren't as, all that glitters is not gold. I love it every time uh, Bert Young or Paulie comes into the scene, you know it's going to muddy the waters. There's never a time he shows up that he doesn't create a little bit of chaos, just your basic garden variety disturbance. Yo, Paulie, 
Hey, they're gonna be talking about that fake Looney Tune fight. Hey, come on, we're about to serve today's special. Italian food cooked up by a bunch of Mexicans ain't so special, Rocco. Hey, yo. Even racist remarks, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's not like he's doing it out of maliciousness, but Rocky, you know, just, oh, that's, that just comes with the territory. So, in a matter of three seconds, Rocky, he's, Paulie's managed to insult an animal. The cook's downstairs. In two seconds, this child here. Oh, you like that? Yeah, man. Thanks, appreciate it. I'm gonna catch you later. Right. Who's the criminal? He's a nice kid. He dresses like a bum. Oh, coming from a human hamper, that's quite a compliment. Hide this silverware. It's nice. So that's his third insult, and then the fourth one will come up here. But it it's always what I like about it is he always gets the worst end of it. You give it a rest. Paul thinks he's cool, but he's not. He's no matter the more he he insults other people, the more it comes back to him. I'm gonna be late for work for this. Give me a break, huh? This is uh, an interesting scene here. That it, it's it's an exposition scene, but it's a it's the it's really the crossroads scene where you're now being exposed to a situation. I should have say Rocky's now being exposed to a situation where it's going to trigger an idea that he never would have thought of before. And and this idea, I think, is the one that kind of gives him a, a sense of hope. To everyone else, it's the most foolish thing ever. See, that's the cartoon fight I'm telling you about. Yeah. So now his attention is there, and he's being brought into it. He's being enticed into a whole other mindset. You know, what started out as a simple form of entertainment has now become this rallying cry for people who think an old-school athlete like Balboa could actually be better. So your computer technology... I always thought that the reason he's brought into this is not so much that he has any more to prove. It's, it's his vehicle of speech. It's the way he communicated with himself and other people. It was his badge of honor. Maybe this is what will bring his son close to him. Maybe this is what will relieve some of the grief inside it, it's it's merely it's not it's not about glory it's it's merely a, a tool a device to somehow purge all these feelings that's his identity and this scene here is uh, one of the better scenes I think that explains that what is this what are you doing out so late uh, you know I tried calling but nothing was picking up something wrong no, no, I just wanted to come by and see you in person. Hey, you want to come inside? No, uh, you know, I, I just want to get your opinion on something. Sure. Opinion on what? Well, you know, they say you only go around once, right? Yeah, I've heard that. Well, I think I want to, like, do something. Like what? Fight. You know, nothing big, small stuff, like locally. When I was looking to cast the Rocky's son, Robert, Junior, uh, it was not an, is, an easy task because I, I was asked why didn't I use my real son, and then I thought I could do that, but I didn't want this to become a a kind of a psychodrama being played out and people looking more into it than it really is. Is this the way it really is between you and your son? So I thought, okay, I have to go out and find uh, a, an actor that 
is an actor and, and he doesn't bring that kind of baggage. So Milo was one of many actors that I saw, but what I liked about him is he, he had a, a quality that he could be Adrian's son, he could be raised by Rocky, but he doesn't have Rocky's physical attributes, but he has the common sense that his mother had, and the, he also had certain facial features, such as uh, our mouth, believe it or not, lean to the same side. So it looks like we're genetically connected. It's not the most glamorous of parts because Rocky is such a, a giving person, a nice, even keel person, and character Milo is playing has a chip on his shoulder, so a lot of people will dislike him, but you have to have that, that essence in there eventually to be able to turn the character around and, and make, him, make him valid, make it that his, his anger was, was well, I mean, was well placed. He, he, he lived in his father's shadow, but at the very end, you forgive him. You forgive him. And, and Milo has that ability to, to turn that around to be a, he's a very, very, very accomplished actor. We'll get even better as he gets older. I really know. If it's about money, just hang a sign around your neck saying, punch me, $5, you make big money. <laughs> this is a real tough scene, real tough scene. Uh, I went in there uh, that morning knowing that this scene is probably the, the crossroads scene in the movie. Um, you have to go places, at least with the character that he's never gone before. And here he is in an area where hooks, cold, very dead, industrial, and, and Pauly is incredibly unsympathetic at this point. Because Adrian left you. She didn't leave, Pauly. She died. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. See, so Pauly, like, he, he has this need to, to hit it, to hit it, Rocky, to jab at him out of jealousy. Then he feels bad that he does it, but it's like a love-hate relationship. It's okay, Rocco. Please, it's okay. Is it okay? I, you know, I just never knew it was supposed to be this hard. It wasn't supposed to be like this, Paul, you know. This is what the character's been keeping in for many, many years, and, and I love that Paulie's reaction there. It's like, it's almost indifference. And then uh, he's trying to feel a little sympathetic, but he's even he's conflicted because it's, again, he's thinking about his sister and he's feeling guilt for her, for not treating her well. So it's a, it's a very, very uh, uh, kind of like emotionally charged scene on both parts. Of course, Rocco. Bye, Polly. Goodbye, Rocco. Take care, Rocco. But yeah, th these, these, those three scenes, the scenes with his son, this, this scene here and the scene coming up, really are the ones that kind of summarize the philosophy of the film about wanting to be recognized, not, not, not being afraid to stand up and be uh, made a fool of, to follow your own dream. The second one, about the grief that one carries with themselves, and it never really goes away. We never knew that life was supposed to be that hard. It really is. It's just as we get older, it doesn't get easy. It gets more difficult. 
battery of tests to which you've been subjected. In this scene here, Rocky is being subjected to the same bureaucratic nonsense that many everyday people are subjected to. This commission in good conscience. You pay your dues, you raise your children, you pay your taxes, you serve your country, whatever it is. You live the good life. And then at the end of your life, when you're ready to reap the rewards of all your hard labor, something comes along, government be it, and say, guess what? There is no Social Security, there is no Medicare, there is no this. By the way, uh, I'm sorry, we, your rights are not going to be upheld in this situation, that situation. And then you're just denied. Before you know it, you're back to where you started. Say, wait a minute, I walked the walk, and now I'm not going to get my just desserts? So Rocky is speaking here, not just for himself, but I think for a, a lot of people. What rights do you think you're referring to? Rights, like in that official paper that they wrote down the street there? That's the Bill of Rights. Yeah, yeah, the Bill of Rights. Don't it say something about going after what makes you happy? No, that's the pursuit of happiness. But what's your point? My point is I'm pursuing something and nobody looks too happy about it. I used a lot of shaky camera work here um, just to show the agitation of the character and, and how he's kind of emotionally losing it. It's the most unstably shot scene in the movie for that reason. I mean, maybe you're doing your job, but why you gotta stop me from doing mine? Because if you're willing to go through all the battling you gotta go through to get to where you wanna get... If there's such a word as unstably, I don't know. Probably not. I'm getting caught up in Rockyisms. And you're told no, even after you pay your dues? Who's got the right to tell you that? Who? Nobody. It's your right to listen to your gut. It ain't nobody's right to say no after you earn the right to be where you want to be and do what you want to do. You know, the older I get, the more things I got to leave behind. That's life. The only thing I'm asking you guys to leave on the table is what's right. I guess this scene can mirror or does mirror. I kind of like what I went through when I wanted to make this film because there's a, there's a, tremendous hesitancy or reluctance to go into the unknown or go into an area that people think has been mined out or it's become passe. So when I presented the idea for Rocky Balboa, it was absolutely shot down. Matter of fact, I think the quote was over our dead bodies. <laughs> and and I, I guess it, it parallels what a lot of people go through when they they, they get older and they're put out the pasture before they're really ready. And it, so there's this burning need inside to be heard, to be accounted for. Be that as it may, more specifically, the idea of uh, what I went through at, to get the film made is pretty well paralleled in that speech. Even though it's a, a bit idealistic, I felt as though there's a lot of people going through what I'm going through and what everyone is going to go through, feeling a bit obsolete before your time. And you have to rebel against that. You can't accept that as a fact of life. Sometimes aging gracefully is not such a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, maybe age a little ungracefully. In other words, don't go so easily into that good night. But people can relate to that stuff. This is a no-lose for everybody. It's all good. Good for who? For you, not for me, for you. Excuse me, maybe you don't understand. People don't like you no more. They don't follow you no more. They're not supporting you anymore. Don't you understand that? See, this is, this is a scene. A lot of people uh, assume that uh, we have to have a villain in the movie to make the fight interesting, but this, this fellow here is being actually victimized. He's allowed himself 
to be promoted and managed to a point where he's sort of been painted into a corner. Again, this is a little somewhat biographical. Also, a lot of it's happened to me, and it's happened to a lot of people. You take advice from people, and you don't listen to your heart. And before you know it, you're in a situation where you don't want to be, but the die has been cast, and that's and that's the way people perceive you. And perception is everything. So, uh, what has happened is this fellow here has relied upon his management to guide his career, and he's kind of painted in the corner. Nobody respects him because he took the easy route. He took the bad fights and to redeem himself, it's almost impossible. I mean, these fellows are still trying to capitalize on his lack of popularity. What they're saying is, once you fight a popular guy, and that's the only way you can make money because no one really likes you anymore. Well, actually, you can come up with a name. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think that's disrespectful. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I love this building. The fact that she lives in a purple building next to a a bombed out structure that's ready to crumble at any second. What for? Well, you know, for like, uh, for work. The host is gonna be having a kid. You do good. Uh, this know. is, I think, like a really romantic scene. It, it, as far as he, he would push romanticism, it's like, I'm giving you an opportunity. This is, you have a lot more going for you than you think. And here's a woman that's been so beaten up by life, she has no sense of self-worth. No, it ain't all right. Oh, come on. It, and this is very, so harkens back to Adrian when she didn't have any sense of self-worth. But this woman is even in worse situation because she's much older. You could find 10 better people, 100 better people for this job. Give it a try, like two weeks. I don't want to try. What he's saying is that it, it, it is, he's going to go through the same thing himself. Don't worry about looking like a fool. If you have a plan, if you have a dream, go for it and don't, give a damn about how your perception is. Keep your eye on the donut and not the hole. Keep your eye on the, on the big picture. Wow, I'm asking because you dance around all these problems, you might as well come and dance with me. Now, I ain't that good, but, you know, I'm probably better than the average bear. And where that came from, I don't know. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, a little bit, but the way you're thinking, the way you're talking, it's a little crazy, too. Come on, you deserve better, really. Come on over. I need you to class my place up. Philly needs you. And if you say, screw you, creepo, again. This is the way I, I think, uh, you know, what makes the character interesting is that it's self-deprecating humor and, and that he approaches subjects, profound subjects, in a, in a kind of like childlike manner. But he gets his point across because he isn't so heavy-handed with it. Yeah, well, there hasn't been a bus down here in 20 years. Yeah. That was a close call. Remember when we shot this, uh, both of us were really sick that day, <laughs> like nearly unconscious from the flu. <laughs> but uh, I guess the gray light of day kind of covered up how badly we were feeling because it was, it was rough. I love the scene. And of course, Bill Conti's score just melts your heart in this scene. This scene uh, was originally scored with opera music. Uh, I used a lot of opera music in our first couple of cuts. I wish I had kept some more of it in. But with him being dismissed with opera, it, 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 it took on, like, uh, it's, it, it felt as though it was La Boheme or <laughs> some <laughs> Payachi or something. It was just too, 
it is too traumatic. Then adding, but they added the addition of Bill Conti's music does, again, uh, garners all the sympathy and pathos you could possibly want. How are you? Get my unusual up there. Excuse me. Deliveries are in the back. I'm not a delivery guy. Well, do you have a reservation? Do I look like a freaking Indian? <laughs> <laughs> Bert, Bert was great in this scene. Uh, this scene originally was uh, much longer. I'm going to put it in the director's cut because it, he went on and he described beef and how Rocky is so ignorant about the world of meat and it just went on and on but I, I, I liked it because it was insightful into Paulie's Paulie's one expertise is his world of beef and now that's been taken away from him what happened to your eye? I hit it why? needed to what happened? I'm celebrating Rob why? I retired retired? <laughs> so when they start giving retiring people meat instead of watches, Paulie. I don't need a watch. I got a watch. Can you give me a watch? Paulie. This is a fellow that has no hesitation to explode in a new situation. And, uh, and what it gets into, the truth hurts. But I Gotta Watch gets back to Rocky Three when <laughs> I gave him a Rolex in the beginning of the movie. Actually, it was uh, in Rocky Two I gave him, but we referred to it again in Rocky Three in the beginning of the movie. So the whole watch joke comes back into play again. Yo, Paulie. Rock. There's another scene that was that was sort of cut short. Paulie almost had a nervous breakdown here, but I think him just coming around that corner and suddenly coming from rage to flattering Rocky was much more of an interesting dynamic about how their relationship is so volatile but snaps back into place as quickly as it snapped out of place. I love the transition she's going through. Already she's, you can see she's now sort of taking a great deal of pride in herself compared to the first two scenes we saw her. So you want to hear some stories? What kind of stories? Well, a lot of people like to hear these old fight stories, you know. Maybe later. Okay. I'm Lou DiBella. This is Elsie Luco. He's Mason Dixon's manager. Lou DiBella is actually uh, one of the most prominent promoters in the world, and, and he, he's the real deal. And Again, it's it's one of the aspects of this film that I like that we put in people that actually walk the walk. Why not try to work something out? Like a special event. Like a first-class exhibition fight. Why me? He respects the hell out of you, all right? And let's be honest, that computer fight got people curious. This could be very interesting. Yeah, but I ain't interested in getting, like, mangled and embarrassed. Or... No, that's not gonna happen. Never have, no. Truthfully, I was... I like this scene a great deal because it... I find it to be painfully comedic at time, like right here when he's saying it's like he's he, he's trying to explain his situation, but you know he comes off as you know simple-minded to them. But he he knows what he means. But these people here are just machine gunning him, working and working and working. He doesn't even have a time to calculate what's going on. 
it, I guess it gets back to that old theory, be careful what you wish for, because he wanted the small things. He wanted things that were kind of inconspicuous. He didn't, for a moment, ever want any more glory. It was about being active, you know, just going, you know, fighting local fights. And no, he never had any intentions of going public with this. Absolutely. Is that okay? Understand. No problem. No problem. I'm going to go over there. You guys can order something. What do you recommend? It's all edible. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Well, yeah. Imagine fixing met this bastard in his prime. Kill him. Uh, and a lot of people get confused in the scene. They go, who are they talking about? Would Dixon beat Rocky? What he's saying is that Rocky Balboa is the real deal. If Dixon ever met him in his prime, Rocky would kill him. But times have changed. But this is what you wanted, right? You know, I talk and I talk, and sometimes I think what I'm saying is true, and then, you know, I look at myself, I'm not even sure what is true anymore. We, we shot this scene twice because I just couldn't get it right. There was some, you know, technical problems, but I'm glad we got a second chance to do this. Toe-to-toe with all that stuff, or like my kid says, is it just like ego? This is where you wonder why, he's wondering, why am I doing this? Really, what is the reason that this is such an insane quest. Look, it it feels good. My heart tells me to do it, but what is the motivation behind it? And this is when I think people get in trouble and where Rocky starts to intellectualize. Is it ego? Am I trying to do this? Uh, I didn't know it would get to that. Do I really care about it? Obviously, and this woman sees, knows him that well uh, in such a short time that, guess what? You're just a fighter. That's who you are. That that's, there's no there's nothing complicated about this. Just because you get older doesn't mean that flame goes out. A fighter is a fighter. You know, a painter is a painter. A writer is a writer. Doesn't matter how old you are. And so don't make excuses for it. You don't have to be ashamed of being what you are. That's right. If it feels right, and you're willing to take the blows, if you're willing to take the the humiliation. If you're willing to go through the pain, then you're entitled to the opportunity, period. Fighters fight. <laughs> I love this moment here. She just lights up the screen with a smile. All right, listen, I got to go before I wear out my welcome. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. And sometimes you just need a person like that to set you straight. It's not that complicated. That's who you are and what you are to the day you die. Fighters fight great. Th these again, this is a, this is a, everything you see in Las Vegas is real. This, this actual setup here was part of a Bernard Hopkins title fight with Jermaine Taylor in a rematch. We had hundreds and hundreds of people there, and we actually used the, the real setting of all these uh, uh, renowned reporters from all, boxing reporters, sports reporters from all over the world. So we just stepped in. What we're trying to do is duplicate what was uh, actually happening before our very eyes. As soon as they were done, we would jump in. And we also, uh, I'll explain a little bit later, about using thousands and thousands of people, thousands of people at the fight for the real crowd. Say you beat an old guy, you lose, say a thumb in the eye, you be the joke of the decade. <laughs> you all know that'll never happen. 
This is only an exhibition. Don't go trying to make more out of this than that computer try. Okay. Is this sport in enough trouble without these circus events? Next question. Um, sir, this, this looks like a cheap bit of ring theater between, no offense, a has-been and a man whose own... Uh, this, this was also shot very, very bright. I wanted to get this, like, everyone is under a microscope here, and, and this is the last thing his promoters wanted him to do was blow his image even further by by getting angry at the press. You should have just... This is, this is the reason that he's in the trouble he is. He's too combative. See, now he just threatens Rocky, so... Now the promoters are back to where they, at the beginning of trying to take a, an image that is damaged and turn it around by him being kind to Rocky Balboa and giving him an opportunity to, as an exhibition fight. He has now set himself up to be somewhat the villain. But he's not a villain because he's a cruel person. He's a villain because he's, he's so angry at being consistently humiliated or, or criticized by the public. I like the scene that, uh, also I like the fact that he's still wearing the same clothes from the press conference earlier that day, that again, he's, he, he has no agenda, he's guileless. I can make some money on this, endorsements. Absolutely, do that. Thank you, Rob. Sure. Okay. So you nervous about the fight? They're scared to death. I think Milo is so great in this scene because this is a true generational gap. This is the future saying to the past, go away. And the past saying, I'm not ready yet, but don't use me as an excuse for your shortcomings. They think of you. Now with all this going on, this is going to be worse than ever. It don't have to be. No, sure it does. Why? You got a lot going on, kid. Well, my last name? That's the reason I got a decent job. That's the reason why people deal with me in the first place. Now I start to get a little ahead. I start to get a little something for myself. And this happens. Now I'm asking you as a favor. This is a scene I think has probably been played out between fathers and sons for, well, many, 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 many years. And it's like passing the gauntlet or do you live in someone's shadow or do, do you try to battle your way out of it? But. A lot of a lot of children do, I think, lay the blame for their shortcomings on to the fact that someone has raised the bar too high, which I think is completely wrong. And rather than Rocky fighting and saying, "You had everything that I never had," going at it the way most people would, he decides to take him on a journey back in time. And that's the difference between, I guess, myself and Rocky. I would be more confrontational, whereas this fellow here is just much more gentle. But this is a scene that a lot, most people that have seen the film are most affected by. And take on the world, and you did. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. I would say that Robert Jr. is also uh, very influenced by, by his 
mother's gene pool. She, he's also the voice of reason. That's how winning is done. Now, you can't expect a family member who really loves another family member to say, yeah, you should go in there and get your brains beat out. But Rocky doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it, that's his rite of passage. That's what he is. That's what he's all about. And he's willing to do it because that's what defines him. But this kid is understanding what his father is really made of at this moment, what, what it takes to get through life, this kind of toughness and this single-mindedness to overcome obstacles, to face your fears. And this is the greatest lesson he could possibly have. And he, and he realizes he's been broken down, he's been busted. The difference is uh, we never really get a chance quite often to have this kind of conversation with people we love or one party is not willing to listen to it. This moment here, I believe, would have played out forever if it's not interrupted by the sun showing up. I don't know if Rocky ever would have fought again. I think he was so affected by that scene. I, I, I believe that these characters need to have the endorsement of each other, the support of each other to function. Neither one of these ships can sail alone. It's like they have to crew each other. That's what this, uh, these race relationships are about. There is a mother who's in the ground, she's dead, but still they come together over her grave, which is somewhat prophetic. She's still the hub of this family. Though gone, her presence just looms large. Right now I'd rather be with you. Is that all right? It's been a long time since I've seen a fight. I had a line in there. I said, well, I know our one's taking place, but I thought it just was a little too precious, so we got rid of it. But now we know he's ready. He's ready to fight. Whereas Adrian was his heart that gave him that, that will, that extra gear. That's what his son is now. So he has replaced her. He, Rocky feels he's ready to be competitive. If, that, if the son had not come to the graveyard, I think he wouldn't have this kind of optimism. So what we'll be calling on is good old-fashioned blunt force. Uh, this is Tony Burton. He's uh, one of the few that have been in all the Rockies. And what I was trying to uh, convey in this scene is that Yes, you're going to change. You are not who you were 30 years ago, but you just have to take a different route. We have to not be afraid to experiment. So therefore, they're going to build some hurting bombs. What you don't have in speed, you start using weights. And we found this very uh, primitive gym uh, that is just a, a bodybuilder's gym. This is, I mean, not a bodybuilder's, a, a powerlifter's gym. And it's slow and ponderous and... and almost medieval in the equipment we used. 
Whereas Rocky is depicted as just slow and plodding and building power, the champion is just the opposite. He's smooth and glides. It's like a Ferrari against a wheelbarrow. Tortoise in the hair. But there really is no gain without pain. I know it's an old cliche statement, but it's true. It's true, nothing of value comes easy. And that's what's somewhat being portrayed here, especially with the, uh, with the weights. I love the idea of the weights. It's, it's different. I mean, the idea that Rocky would be seen punching a bag again is it's not, it's not cinematic enough, or, and it's also not, I guess it, it's, it's, it's not philosophically sound. He has to change his life to be competitive. You can't continue to be the same guy your whole life. It's all about change and morphing into something else. I thought it'd be nice to get some of the, uh, the traditional visuals back from the other Rockies that pounding the beef, people could relate to that and that, okay, he hasn't completely abandoned everything from the past. This was a very difficult scene to shoot. This, we spent 17 hours there because we only had one day to do it. And I'll tell you the next day, walking was out of the question. This is an extraordinary day, too. The idea of coming up the steps with Punchy being joined by his alter ego there, which is a, this poor mutt, I think sort of put the story in perspective that, you know, the old dog made it. And he made it because he he had faith and he had the love, he had the endorsement of the of those people behind him. I don't he certainly wouldn't have done it alone. Again, this is the actual setup from the Hopkins fight, and these are the real people and real scales and the real promoters, and those are the actual most preeminent writers, sports writers in the world today. Here's Leroy Neiman. You know how much money is in this? A lot of it. Imagine trying to clean this place. <laughs> oh, seriously. You guys, uh, I'll catch this you. is uh, probably the second scene we shot. And we were, we were just starting to get our rhythm. But I think it's an important scene about how philosophically different they are at this point. Make sure you save face. It'd be no embarrassment. But I promise you, if you try to press me, you hit me, you hurt me, you hit me low, cheap shot me, I'll get you out of there. You know, uh... A lot of people come to Vegas to lose. I did. It's already over. Ain't nothing over till it's over. And there it is What's in a nutshell. Eighties. It's probably in the seventies. Just remember what I said. <laughs> you know, it's that old school mentality that you know. No matter what era it's from, it's still true. You may not believe it, kid, but it's still true. Try a little harder when you're scared. This is, uh, 
what has worked for me. Well, it's what he told the kid earlier on. He says, aren't you scared? He goes, yeah. And backs it up again, saying, yeah, I am scared. And I think people really do their best when they're on edge. I mean, that's nothing revolutionary there, but it's true. This is a, a delicate scene to shoot because there was a tendency to go over the line to take the relationship to another level, and that was neutralized by her bringing the picture of Adrian. And it's like, I wish I could fill her shoes, but I know I'm not, and I'm not going to make any pretenses that I can. So. I'm just thanking you for allowing me to be in your life, but I know I'll never replace her. It's, you know, tomorrow, you're going to prove that the last thing to age on somebody is their heart. This seat is so important for, I think, uh, people to have in their lives, not just in this film, but just to have that kind of soulful support that it's not about a guy yelling in your ear, go out there and kill him. It's just this delicate stuff that touches your heart and, and your soul that you know you really are loved. The heavyweight championship has been one of sports' most coveted titles for 120 years. Two-time heavyweight champion Rocky Balboa. We were uh, lucky enough to get Jim Lampley and the HBO people on board here. This montage here is, is wonderful and very reminiscent of what they do before all their championship fights. So now we're, we're, we're going into tape. As soon as we get into Las Vegas, we went into high def and tried to make it less cinematic and more linear, more television-y. Well, the much-anticipated showdown between Mason, the line, Dixon... I wish I could have gotten even clearer to the point where it's almost disturbingly clear, but, again, there's uh, certain drawbacks. You have to have one generation transfer from tape on the film, so it's never going to be as clear as television high-def. ...unappreciated heavyweight champion Mason, the line, Dixon, putting his reputation on the line against legendary... I love this set. Mason is already warming up, and Rocky is, like, completely... <laughs> out of his league here. The room is electric. Larry, why is this billed as an exhibition? Wild guess. So they wouldn't have to call it an execution. <laughs> Zachariah 4.6 says, It is not by strength, not by might, but by his spirit. The, uh, the irony here is that this fellow, again, that he would be, who was fighting in Rocky 1, has now become his spiritual advisor. Nobody's expecting much, I think, from the way past his prime former champ, Rocky Balboa. I wanted to, uh, again, from the time you're in Vegas, you're never out of the limelight. You're never out of the uh, way of a sun gun or, or a camera. So Rocky, even though in these private moments, is under the glaring light, there is no, there is no let up in the pressure. This is quite a contrast to the other Rocky films where it was, again, done 
not as, let me use the word, as official as an HBO fight. It was more, they were more cinematic and fictional than this. This is pretty much the, the way it's done. We had about nine to 11,000 people. The numbers vary, but this is a, a footage. We, we grabbed this footage for uh, unbeknownst to many of the spectators there who had come to see a championship fight. All of a sudden they see Rocky Balboa coming out into the crowd. And until I was halfway down the aisle, I think people were saying, wait a minute, we came to see Hopkins fight Taylor and what is Rocky Balboa doing here? And then. They, they got into the spirit of it and it was fantastic because you, you couldn't duplicate that kind of emotion and, and with a crowd that size, it'd be impossible to financially install. He's an off-the-board underdog and they don't care at all. This is about his pride and dignity and his punch, guys. The last thing to go is a guy's punch. Rocky always has that puncher's chance. It's true. And then and Max Kellerman saying that a puncher's chance. At one time I was going to call this film Puncher's Chance. Um, instead of Rocky Balboa, I'm glad I didn't, but a puncher's chance is what everyone has in life. You may not have the skill, but Rocky has a puncher's chance. You're just able to throw that big one and turn it all around. Rocky Balboa just asked me how I'm doing. Now, I grew up watching this guy. I never thought I'd be calling one of his fights. This is unbelievable. I'm a fan. I can't help it. I like that aspect of it too, that one generation sees another generation that they grew up watching now. Here they are sitting ringside at something that they never imagined would have ever happened. This is 3-6 Mafia. They wrote this song that was a complete contrast to Frank Sinatra and High Hopes. This is a foreboding song that if I were standing in the ring right now, I'd be going gulp. This is not... Uh, where I want to be right now. It's, it has a lot of gloom. It has a lot of uh, evil portent to it. Jason Dixon establishing his presence in the ring and suddenly now a conversation breaking out at ringside. Mike Tyson calling out. Mike Tyson uh, called and wanted to be in the film and since he's probably the most famous fighter since Muhammad Ali, I thought, well, why not? They'll add a little bit of authenticity. I remember Antonio Tarvis saying, just don't let him get in the ring with me here. <laughs> I've said this before, this, every, everything you see is authentic. Real promoters, the, the most famous ring announcer, Michael Buffer, Joe Cortez, most famous referee in the world, a real fighter in Antonio Tarver, Mark Ratner is commissioner of Las Vegas. The only one in the ring that's not real is me. Let's get ready to rumble! I thought by going this route uh, and kind of copying the HBO motif is that it would blur the lines between reality and, and, and just a cinematic fight. This is exactly the way it's done. They use soft cuts between every uh, transition. They don't, use, they don't use hard cuts whatsoever. And the camera's always moving. So again, we're just following the format that they've set up to try to keep it 
as authentic as possible and blur that line between fantasy and reality. Hope he gets his head buzzed. Shut up. Across the ring, fighting out of the red corner, wearing white with blue, official weight 221 pounds. He has a perfect... Once we get into the fight in the first round, one thing might be obvious is there's no cutaways. In every fight I've been involved with, in any fight I've ever seen in cinema, there's always cutaways to something. And that's fine, but it's not real boxing. Boxing, you know, there are no cutaways in boxing. It is, you're in the ring, and you just watch what's in the ring. And we rarely cut to, we don't cut to a fellow's brother or mother or girlfriend or anything else. You stay in the ring. Well, you can't do that the whole fight because it would be, I guess, uh, you know, a little monotonous because you, you want to get the emotion in there. So for the first round, we stay in the ring to set the tone. And then the second round, we start to include cutaways and begin to layer the emotion. This fight uh, was done under a great deal of duress. Both of us had multiple injuries and, and even... Tarver had broken his knuckle during one of our sparring sessions, and I had broken a bone in my foot. But what you see here is authentic. I, I knew to make this fight different than the other fights, there has to be a, a lot of physical contact, and you just have to be willing to take it. So we, we, we didn't get to spar a lot, but we... Spart enough, to, I, I kind of knew his distance not to get within the killing zone. But what you see, these are all hits. And if the, if the film is skip-framed, you, you'll see. You can just put it on pause and you'll see that these are their contacts and a, a punch that doesn't connect is not scored with a sound to make it sound like it's a punch. I, I want it to be as authentic as possible. Balboa looking to get in a shot. Mrs. Wilder. It looks like a speed bag against a punching bag. See, uh, what I like about his tarp is his footwork. You, you could never in a million years teach an actor to do that. Not, not a chance. What looks easy, not a chance. He forgot his arthritis meds this morning. Even, uh, you know, Carl Weathers, uh, athletic as they were, Dolph Lundgren, they, they don't have that kind of footwork. Dolph was the closest to it, but... Uh, I, he'll be the first to admit, you know, this is a man who's uh, knocked out the pound-for-pound pound greatest fight in the past 10 years. He's the real deal. Those are all hits. And and here uh, is something that's different. We kept the camera one spot and just let, let we're rolling. This is uh, no choreograph. We were just punching and I'm hoping not to get knocked cold. This was uh, very difficult because we only had three days to do all the fighting here, and that includes the cutaways and the entrances and exits. So uh, there was a, a lot of accidents, a lot of uh, botched hits, a lot of connects that we hope we didn't. I didn't have to be hit with, but it. it it happened. The hard thing was getting the corners coordinated. I didn't, uh, there was so much noise from the real crowd that 
I missed some of the dialogue, and, I, and, and even in the looping, I couldn't specifically get all of it because I couldn't even track what they were saying originally. So, but, I, you know, in the end, it works out okay. You get the idea of what's going on without hearing the precise dialogue of every corner man. These are all wonderful jabs, just right on the mark. Boom. You know what's amazing is uh, when you get hit, uh, it, unless you get hit in a certain spot, it's not painful, it's just stunning. Like that one, I was actually had my bell rung. And, and truthfully, this uh, next series of punches, he, he hit me on the temple and I couldn't believe it. I would, the way I imagined it, I would get right up. But I, I couldn't get up. I was like, I was actually stunned there and I'm trying to grab the rope and I'm going, what is going on? I'm trying to pull and <laughs> truth, I couldn't get up. It's like, I said, what am I doing here? So I was like, you know, the beauty of having the uh, high def tapes is just, they keep going and going and going. You don't have to cut, you don't have to run out of film. So you can see poor Sly here struggling to maintain consciousness. You'll see right here, again, this is a wonderful hit on his jaw. Boom, right there. And back comes Dixon with brutal left hand shot. Dixon hurt his hand there. This is Rocky's best chance right here. The champ obviously just turned his hand on Rocky's hip. And Balboa immediately going to work to the body. Huge right hook. These were uh, real body shots here. He, I mean, he's trying to protect himself, but we're letting it go here. Because I, I explained to him, this is the last time we're going to do this, the last time I'm ever going to do it. And let's just make it as authentic as possible and hope that no one, mainly me, gets very injured. And, and, you know, this is the way real fights go. It's ebb and flow and speed. It's not like in, in most choreographed films. It's just going, 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 going. It's not pretty to look at. It's, it's rough. It's ragged. It, this is the way it is. Welcome to Rocky Land. It's just not pretty to look at when, when you get into that frenzy. Now, this is uh, an important fact that his hand is broke. And I had a lot of debates with uh, a certain personnel about that his hand shouldn't break in Rocky should be able to beat him and i said no 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 it's that's not the point the point is could rocky beat him with his hand not broken no he couldn't but more importantly it's now dixon has to go through his baptism and fire he's a one-armed fighter now and he's going to take a lot of punishment a lot of abuse he's gonna to have to dig down he's got a man that's intent on beating him to a pulp, not because he dislikes him, not because he hates him, that's just who Rocky is. That's the way he fights. He gives no quarter and he takes no quarter. So Dixon is going through something, that's why he's looking, I love this shot too, they're just staring at each other like, my God, well, this is, uh, I didn't expect to be here and Rocky didn't expect to be coming up for the third round and here he is. Bombing, bombing. But every punch that Rocky throws here is just uh, some kind of symbolic gesture of getting all this horrible, 
grief, all this pain, this loss of his wife. The fact that he's lived with such loneliness, woken up alone, he just hasn't had anyone to to commune with. And, and it's like, I want to get this out of my system. I want to get this anger out. Some people can go and, and do it with a psychiatrist. Maybe people can write a book, paint a picture. This is how he expresses himself, period. And that's why we're, I'm using uh, cutaways here of, of images that profoundly affect him. This is what it's about. It's not about winning. It's about venting. I mean, the audience, the fight audience is looking at this as, as a battle that Rocky can win, uh, but Rocky is not looking at that at all. This is, this is purely a matter of venting and showing that you're still vital, that you can take what life has to dish out. He's a fighter, he fights. I love this shot here. <gasps> Turned out really well. That gets me too. <laughs> I can't help it, I just get pulled up in this. I really do. Uh, the idea of going black and white and different colors, um, it, it I didn't want to make a, a, a realistic montage here. We, I've done that in the other Rockies. This one here is, is, is I'm trying to say it's more subliminal. It's more subjective. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's more varied. And, and varied in a sense, it's not, it's not about fighting. It's about climbing a, a mountain. Uh, it's about accomplishing something you never thought you could accomplish. But it's it's not about actually winning the fight. It's like I want to beat all those painful memories out of me. Don't take any more chances out there than you have to. There's nothing more to prove, Pa. There's nothing more to prove. I gotta go out the way I gotta go. This is my philosophy in a nutshell, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write this film. And, and I think a lot of people have related to the film is people would love in a perfect world to go out the way they want to go out not the way life is dictated that they go out. And if you're facing the last round of your life, which is like the last chapter of your life, you want to give it everything you got. Tenth round of a scheduled ten. Who would ever have dreamed that Rocky Balboa would still be in this, quote, exhibition against the heavyweight champion of the world? You can do it, come on! This fight is as though... What also, the, the son here, it's the first time he's ever seen his father do really as, a, as an adult do what he does and I think he's learning such lessons from him he's walking the walk he's doing exactly what he told his son you have to do take it and then dish it out but take it I remember the shot very well, and Tony really caught me. I feel as though it, it's one of those shots where you've seen a, a, 
like a bull brought to his knees. What is it you said to the kid? It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. And keep moving forward. How much you can take. And keep moving forward. He has to reaffirm in his own mind that he can believe what he told the kid. Live the words. I like what Rocky says to himself, get up, get up. Because I think, you know, that people do talk to themselves. You have to, like, constantly have that, what I call, inner roof brain chatter, that conversation with yourself. And in this character, at this point in his life, is very open, very, you know, he's, he's just speaking to himself. He's, he's just trying to survive and, like, you know, live the philosophy, do it. Just go for it. Now this this is uh, where, where the fight really got strong and heavy. These, these are some serious shots being thrown here. I mean, I'm throwing as hard as I can, and and he's rolling with the punches, but some he's not, and he's he's getting hit, but he's hitting me. Believe me. This is just toe to toe, having at it. I remember when this scene completed and we just dropped in each other's arms and like laughing like, oh God, can you believe we just did that? <laughs> Are we crazy? But this part here I like too, that, that through other people's efforts, uh, our, the example set from other people uh, can really profoundly affect other people. Like the girl, the, last, you know, the, the, the little girl in the bar who was so cynical finally understood what he was all about, who he is. He goes, you ain't nothing, you ain't no better than us. He said, I may not be better, but I'm definitely different from you. And and I think he proved his point if she probably would be affected by it. This here took a little bit of a while to come to. I had Rocky in the ring for a long time uh, for the decision and everything else. And I said, wait a minute, this is not about a decision. He He wouldn't care if he won or lost. This was not about winning or losing. He did what he had to do. The beast is out. I'm ready to move on with my life. Uh, this is my new family. 95, 94, Dixon. Chuck Champa has it. 95. The fans here, the enthusiasm uh, from these thousands and thousands of people is authentic. It's I know they're not cheering for me. They're cheering for the character of Rocky. It's like it's meant a lot to them. And the people that sat through these two days here are, are, are true believers in what the character stands for. And I was truly moved by that. I really was. This is a, this is a very difficult time for me because I, I, I knew it's the end. It's like I'm saying goodbye to thousands of people that have been so supportive and I felt as though I'm saying almost like goodbye Sylvester Stallone so it's like wow it was a very heavy moment for me very heavy very very heavy
I love this image here. I almost was tempted to end the film with this image, but I couldn't forego this. You know, I could have done nothing with that. The look here, meaning Rocky without his hat and uh, a different jacket, is my attempt at saying he's different now. He's kind of, he's a little changed. He's going to always adore his wife, worship his wife, but he's going to move on a little bit. He's ready to make the transition and realize that he can't live backwards, that he has to go forward. And this shot worked out very, very well with him saying goodbye and just dissolving with a final farewell. After this, uh, we, we were going to play uh, Bill Conti's music, uh, the more sober music, you know, and then go through black and white credits. And I thought, you know, I'm starting to get a little depressed by the Indians, a little sad. So I said, you know what, let's take a camera to the steps. And with a little cooperation, we, we got all this footage and of real people doing what they do. This is a, a, a landmark now for people who want to run up the steps and actually they, they hit the rocky pose all day long from every walk of life. It's absolutely astounding. So I thought, let me take this legacy that has been created by a fictional character and maybe that's the last image we should have is that look at the effect that this wonderful character has had on so many different types of people. It's uh, a wonderful tribute and certainly humbling. I'm just incredibly happy uh, that my children finally got to see their father and what he left behind. That, see his father, I see their father in action, I put it that way, and what Rocky has left behind. That, to me, was really important. We had thousands of images of people, they, they kept coming day and night and day and night. And this wasn't, uh, these are not actors. These are real people who do this on their own. All we had to do was just show up and put their story on film. You know, it's like when they run up to the top of those steps and they get there and they raise their arms, it's like, I'm ready to dream. I'm ready to believe that I can do incredible things in my life. By me coming up here and looking down in the city, there's no reason I shouldn't go out there and give it my best. So I say to all of them and everyone here, just keep punching, just keep punching. You never know, you never know. You may just hit your dream right on the jaw. This was the final image. I didn't know people were actually shooting this 
This was a moment when I realized it's over. As soon as I finish the scene and say cut, I can't come back here anymore. Rocky's on his own. Thank you. <laughs>